welcome back to the bookcast. I am Deal White, Atlanta-based author of romantic fiction featuring Black men and women, and we've been reading The Neverlist by Deal White. As a reminder, if you want to purchase this title, you can get it at e. Uh, um, excuse me, you can get it in ebook at books by slash books. I have also just learned you can pick up this book in paperback at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I will have more details forthcoming on to, um, as to what other retail outlets you can buy this book in paperback, and it is recently available in Overdrive. So please do rush to your local library and request that they purchase an ebook copy of The Neverlist for their collection. Your faces will love it. Chapter 21 Trey. Sixteen ounces of spiced vanilla-flavored coffee from Brew Bar gave me everything I needed. I'd arrived at the office early while the building was still dark and settled in at my desk without being bothered by anyone on the way in. I sipped, nodding appreciatively at both the report, waiting on my desk, and the hot, creamy brew that had quickly made me a fan. As May and I had fallen into a habit of switching off days picking up coffee and muffins from Brew Bar, when we met at Miller Design. I was fine with plain French roast or vanilla and didn't like to get fancy. Esme loved whatever sweet swirl of flavors they tossed together that sounded good. Chocolate raspberry almond was her current crush. Unfortunately, I'd had to cut my mornings at Miller to a few times a week. Esme and I were making great strides on negotiations, and Miller seemed particularly agreeable as of late. Pettigrew was working against Atlanta's upcoming cold and rainy season. At this time of year, the race was on to make progress on outside work so that crews could spend time inside when the weather wasn't agreeable. A loud tap-tap sounded at the closed door. It's open, I called, raising my head to greet Vincent, who blew into my office, holding a copy of the same report that I'd been staring at for an hour. Look who learned how to knock. The progress report is out, he said, ignoring my joke and dropping it onto my desk. I'm reading it now, I told him, showing him my copy. Maybe getting to the office before noon would be a good habit to get into? It's only nine o'clock, young blood. When you clock out at, what, five, six o'clock? I'm still here. I'll put in my hours. Vincent took a seat and assumed his usual position, ankle resting on a knee, a hand restlessly tapping. Tell me about the report, since you have a head start. Do you think fourth quarter projections are accurate? I flipped back through the pages, referencing my notes on the projects that Pettigrew had slated for the last quarter of the year. We have three builds and final phases, so those are automatic wins. Four in progress, a few of which just broke ground, but it looks like the crews are moving on time. We'll need to ride the project it leads to keep them on schedule, or we'll end up with overtime, especially if we're supposed to run wire by December. We've got a couple that are behind schedule, but I sipped more coffee, given the pages one last brush before closing the report and relaxing in my chair. Nothing to worry about yet. You know Saul would- yeah, I know. Pops would shit a brick at this report, but then I'd come behind him and reassure him, seeing where the crews are. We're in good shape. Let's evaluate the situation in two weeks, though. A lot can change in that time. What the hell are you drinking? asked Vincent, his mouth screwed into a scowl. 
It smells like those candles my wife burns all the time. Coffee, I answered. Spiced vanilla from a shop that's not far from me. Trey, Vincent shook his head. I have never known you to drink coffee. Well, I do, I responded with a laugh. I didn't drink it at the office. And now you do. Yeah. I hadn't even noticed that I'd started drinking coffee at the office every day and not only at Miller Design. I smiled to myself at a small but meaningful change since I'd met Esme. I tipped the cup to Vincent in a mock toast. Now I do, I guess. Whatever. Another piece of news besides your recent foray into coffee is that the bid grapevine is rumbling again or looking at two, three weeks at the most. I sat up, suddenly very alert and trying to swallow my heart, which had leaped into my throat. Vincent, why didn't you say that when you walked in here? I sat down my coffee and reached for my cell phone. I had to call Miller. And Esme. He chuckled. Honestly, I like watching you scramble. I hope you've made it over the hump to Miller's good side. How's his administrator that hates you? I mumbled, scrolling through my phone, making excellent progress, actually. And she doesn't hate me. Not anymore, anyway. Esme and I were getting along very, very well, though we had taken a small step back from hanging out. We hadn't been out since the night I took her to my half-built house and we did things that we could probably get arrested for. I'd seen her at the office and we spent at least an hour a night on the phone talking or watching the same movie. With the contract hanging over both of us, Esme wanted to concentrate on her job. We wanted that contract out of the way as soon as possible, using the anticipation of being able to move forward together as a reward to work harder. It was working. Couldn't wait to be alone in a room with Esme as naked as the day she was born, a bottle of wine, and nothing but time. We would be further along if Miller didn't want to argue every line and add an addendum to include his terms. I'm calling a meeting. We need to move quickly. It still has to go through the lawyers. Yeah, well. Vincent pushed himself up from the chair, grabbing his copy of the report as he turned to leave my office. Let me know if you need a closer. If we get the bid, we need to hit the ground running and break ground as soon as possible. I picked up the phone at my desk and started dialing, waving Vincent out of my office. The line rang in my ear and then picked up. Thomas, it's Trey Pettigrew. I need to meet with you and Miss Whitaker. The bid is maybe a couple of weeks away. If we're doing this, we need to move. By the clock on the wall, my watch, and the knot in my stomach, it was nearing 7 o'clock. I'd arrived at Miller after rushing through my morning meetings after noon. We immediately went into a closed-door session to define the remaining contract terms. For Vincent, I was under orders to be amicable and generous but not give away the whole store. Whatever it took, within reason to get the deal done, I was authorized to approve. When Pops got mad, he got mad. He'd get mad all the way to the bank once the project was complete. Miller didn't get the same memo. Though he'd come forward on a great many sticking points, he dug in his heels on the others, which was why, seven hours later, I was irritated that I was still in a drab, gray conference room, staring at an eerily calm, collected Thomas Miller, and a flustered, frustrated Esme in the middle. I felt bad for her, but this was the job. This was what Miller hired her to do. Besides, I was the one being nice. I scrubbed a palm down the side of my face, then cupped my chin in my hand. I've hit a wall. 
I'm starving. I'm tired. And I feel like we're talking in circles. Can we table this? I feel like I'll have a better head on some food and sleep. Maybe you're right, he said, once again agreeable, but not where it mattered. Let's round up in the morning. Thomas stood, pushing his chair away from the table and, without a word, walked out of the room. His crisp white dress shirt still looked ironed, a testament to how he never folded his arms or even rolled up the sleeves. The guy was eerily calm all the time, even when I called him to inform him that the hospital bid was coming in as few as two weeks and we were nowhere near ready, he had no emotion for me. There was no sense of urgency. There was a lot about Thomas Miller that got directly under my skin, and the more time I spent with him, the less I wanted to do business with him. If Pops wasn't chomping at the bit to acquire this firm, I'd have walked away a long time ago. This was not work that a CEO would typically be involved in, and I resented being put in the position. If it were not for Esme, I'd have turned this process over to Vincent, or an underling. Esme's strong, brave front collapsed as soon as Miller left the room. She listed to one side, leaning on one elbow with her head cradled in her palm. Her eyes were closed, showing off her expert eyeshadow application, and she appeared to be breathing deeply. You straight? I asked her quietly. Her eyes fluttered open, then settled on mine. I'm also tired. I'm also starving. And that man, she whispered the last two words, pointing one of her long nails toward the open door. It's on my last nerve. There's no reason he can't revert to your original sale price that he and your father discussed. The company isn't worth any more or less today than it was six months ago. Really? That struck me as odd. Like, value is flat? Pettigrew rises and falls depending on the season, how much work we have contracted, what the economy is looking like. His numbers have never changed. Miss May shook her head. Not that I've seen. The numbers that Miller gave me have stayed static since the agreement was first drafted earlier this year with Saul. She reached for a stack of spreadsheets that we used for reference. No adjustments for seasons, no ups and downs. No projected salary increases, no adjustments for expenses that vary like taxes, insurance, materials. She flipped through more pages, her brow becoming more wrinkled with each page. I know we don't need exact figures, but these numbers look artificially good. Do you know what I mean? I knew exactly what she meant. I don't know why I never noticed that before. Miller is friends with your boss over at Benning, I'd bet. Golfing buddies, probably. They showed you what they wanted you to see, I said. Anyway, his finances aren't your concern. The contract is written around agreed-upon numbers, but as soon as this deal closes, his bills become mine, and if he's using dummy numbers, that could be a problem for Pettigrew. As May's eyes flicked up to mine, she was picking up everything that I was putting down. We need to get out of this room, she mouthed. I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. I picked up my bag and began packing, as May did the same, sliding her stack of notes and her laptop into a bag in seconds. I walked out behind her, pulling the door to the conference room closed behind us. She swiped us out of the office suite, then out of the front door. Meet me at Brewbar in a few minutes, she tossed over her shoulder as she walked to her car. Whoa! I grabbed her by the arm, forcing her to stop marching away from me. What's up? I don't want to talk anywhere near here, and I don't want security cameras catching us chatting it up out here either. So, we're going to have coffee and muffins and chat like I'm one of your sisters? 
Do you have a better idea? A hell of a better idea. I pulled out my phone and sent a text to hers. Meet me there at 8 o'clock. She pulled out her phone and stared at the text, then raised her hand to land a quizzical stare at me. Where is this? My place. Drop your car out front. Tell the valet that you're visiting me. Go up to the 10th floor. I'll text you to code to unlock the door. Where will you be? Picking up dinner. You'll get there before I do, so make yourself at home. Do you want me to order something for you? Trey, I, you know what? There's this new chicken dish on the menu that I think you'd like. I'll get that and some rice and vegetables. See you at eight. I walked away before she could argue. When I got into my SUV, she was in her Jetta, setting the phone in its dashboard mount and tapping through the screens. GPS. Good. Tonight's stupid human trick, get through the evening without trying to sleep with Esme. Chapter 22. Esme. Meeting Trey in Midtown at 8 o'clock meant flying home to take a lightning-fast shower, fluff my hair, refresh my deodorant and perfume, not to mention my fancy lip color, then shooting back up I-75. My saving grace was that it was after rush hour and midweek, and that O'Neill wasn't home to slow me down. I swerved into 1288 luxury condominiums with minutes to spare. The valley was pleasant when I dropped my car out front, but I noted the rise in his brows as he took my key and handed me a tag to retrieve the car later. I walked inside and went to the elevators and the 10th floor. I arrived at 10028 and pressed the buttons on the door in the order that Trey had texted me. The lock clicked, then whirred. The door swung open to reveal dark gray tile in the entryway leading into an open concept living area. The kitchen, dining room, and living room were one big space with floor-to-ceiling windows from one wall to another. Well, all right, Mr. Pettigrew, this is nice. I dropped my bag on a saddle leather couch in the shade of an almond, kicked off my flats, and walked across the spotless, off-white, hand-roven rug to stand in the window. Trey had an enviable view of the pool and the patio below. Its floor was high enough to get a view of the city lights at night. I pressed buttons, lights turned on and off, dimming and brightening. I pressed another button, and the electric shades lowered, then rose again. The dining room wasn't much except for a small, round table and four tufted chairs sitting around it. A bright yellow base held an explosion of colorful silk flowers. The kitchen was sparse but tidy with stools lined up against one counter, stainless steel appliances and glossy granite countertops. A glass carafe French press sat in a corner next to a black lacquer box that I assumed was for bread because next to that was a toaster oven. It was a nice place, but impersonal. Chic and upscale, but there was nothing about this condo that screamed Trey Pettigrew except for the smattering of family photos and frames along the mantel above the fireplace. The decor was more corporate apartment than grown man in his domicile. I knew him as a man with a casual, laid-back style. His condo was pretentious and stiff. No wonder he was building a house to call his own. I headed back to the living room where I investigated his bookshelves filled with business books, mysteries, and architecture manuals. I sat down on the couch and dug through my bag, unpacking the materials that I had brought with me. My laptop with database access to bending systems and my notes from our discussions. I thought Trey was right to trust his suspicions. I needed to find a way to prove him right before Pettigrew got too far in. By the time I heard rustling in the hallway, 
I was elbow deep in spreadsheets. I got up to open the door and found Trey holding several brown-handled bags. His grin when I stood in the entryway to his place burned a warm glow in the pit of my belly. I should not have been so giddy to see him smile, but I was. You found me. Good. You seem surprised, I quipped as he walked past me. I closed the door and followed him to the kitchen where he was already pulling plastic containers out and lining them up along the counter. I thought you might let your Esme-ness take over and not show up. Suffice it to say, he paused, his arm deep inside a brown paper bag. I'm happy you're here. I decided that I was hungry and I'd let you buy me dinner. Trey pulled a square container out of the bag and held it, reverently, in his hands. My boy Ken said hello, and that you will love the dish he created especially for you. He handed me the container. This Ken guy knows who I am, and he made my dinner. He was my roommate at Georgia State. The best food you've ever tasted comes from his kitchen. He's the guy with the new restaurant you mentioned. Yep. Got a surprise for you. Open it. I groaned finding a frown. I'm scared. I feel like this surprise involves food that smells like standing water. Would you open it? Damn. I removed the lid and peered inside at beautiful rolls all lined up and nestled close together. Something smells good in here. These are teriyaki chicken sushi rolls, all cooked. There's chicken, cucumber, and rice rolled in sesame seeds. He pointed to a few others. There's nothing raw. Vegetables, smoked salmon, cooked shrimp. Oh, I thought sushi was like raw fish. Sushi can be anything you can roll in some rice and sesame seeds. If you still don't want that, I got some stir-fried chicken and vegetables and a ton of rice. It looks amazing and it smells delicious. Thank you for arranging this for me. I tipped my face up to his. He met me halfway and gave me the first kiss he'd given me since he dropped me off at my house more than a week ago. Because it had been so long, I went in again for another longer kiss. Is it sad that I've missed your lips, he said. If it is, then I'm sad too. I kissed him again, then pulled back to catch his eye. Trey, did you peek at my list? What? I haven't seen it since the day you dropped it. Why? I turned around, marched to my bag, dung around in the side pocket, and pulled out the well-worn, folded, unfolded, scratched out, and heavily edited list. Without unfolding the bottom half, I walked it over to Trey. Try an exotic dish, he read aloud. Sushi is exotic. If jumping over lasers is an extreme sport, sushi is exotic food. It counts. Height. I guess we're crossing another item on the never list. It was not lost on me as we pulled out plates and forks and glasses for wine and settled in for our meal that we were approaching the bottom of the list. There were a few fun things left and some big ones. I wasn't sure how I'd approach them, or, more to the point, approach Trey about them. He didn't seem the type that could be scared off. Trey was the type to be gentlemanly and decide that the privilege of deflowering a woman, however performative, should not be granted to him. And that I'd be frustrated and honestly pissed because by now there was no one else that wanted to touch me. What are you thinking? Trey and I sat on the floor between the couch and the coffee table. Paper plates, plastic containers, and bottles of sake and plum wine filled in the spaces around my stacks of paper and notes. 
I'm thinking that we need Miller's true financials. We do. Do you think he cooks his books? Maybe not cooked, definitely heavily finessed to make Miller design look more appealing. Wouldn't he be more agreeable if he was trying to dupe me into buying his company with fake numbers? I think it's a reverse psychology thing. If he tries hard to keep his company from you and make it harder to acquire him, you might want it more, you might push harder, you might give in where you'd normally fight. Miller isn't a traded company, so his financials aren't public. I set my wine glass down on the table and pulled my legs under me, then turned to lean an elbow on the supple leather of the couch. I can access them. Trey blinked, then ran his tongue between his lips before asking, Like, through Benning? Yes. We have platforms that we use to research potential and current clients, monitor the market, especially for comparison. It pulls financial statements, investor information, credit reports. If there's something to see, it'll find it. I get the feeling, though, that logging into Benning's system to look up a client wouldn't be well received. I pondered that. Probably not. Maybe that's why I haven't logged in yet. But I have a username and password for a reason, and there's if there's nothing to hide, there's no reason to be angry at me for logging in to take a look. You need accurate, updated numbers to decide if acquiring the sperm is in your best interest. True. But I'm not about to ask you to risk your job, Esme. If you ask Miller for updated numbers, do you think he'll give them to you? He bit out a short laugh. No. I know for sure he wouldn't give them to me. So then I'm not waiting for you to ask me to run the numbers. It's not your job to save me from acquiring a lemon of a company. You could be fired and you know it. Then I'd be fired for doing the right thing, and any company that would fire me for that doesn't deserve me as a valuable employee. If he's hiding something from you, it's unscrupulous and could be grounds for a lawsuit if you were petty enough. And think about what Saul would say. He'll have something to say, one way or the other. If I sign the papers and Miller turns out to be a dud, I'll hear it. If I don't sign these papers, I'll hear it. So, what do you want to do? I appreciated that Trey appeared to take his time and consider that question. Once I logged in and started looking, there was no turning back. He shifted his weight, turning his body toward me, his bottom lip caught between his teeth, then reached over to grasp one of my hands, clutching it in his, sweeping his thumb over my skin. Crazy how much I've missed you. I smiled, recognizing the sharp turn in conversation topics. You've seen me, Trey, several times. We talk every day. I miss you in between. I miss being alone with you, being able to speak my mind about how goddamn sexy your thighs look in those leggings. He leaned in and brushed his lips across mine, so light and airy that it made me twitch with the longing to kiss him until I pressed my lips to his. I'm starting to see why you invited me to your place. Trey kissed his way from my mouth to the spot below my ear that made parts of my body stand at attention while the rest of me went soft. I'm still not asking you for sexual favors. He pulled back, but only long enough to look me in the eye and add, Are you offering? I laughed. Not yet. Yet? So you might eventually? A few beats later, I answered. Definitely eventually. A long, loud groan rolled from him as his body seemed to overtake mine. 
I cackled in laughter as he urged me back until I was lying on the hand-woven rug that I'd admired earlier. Trey hovered above me, then lowered his body to mine. My body seemed to move without my brain urging it to. My arms and legs closed him in, holding him in position. You seem to always be erect, Trey. I'm starting to feel some concern for blood flow through the rest of your body. It's only when you're around. We kissed, sharing a long, slow, romantic moment. Or when I think about you. Or when I'm on the phone with you and your voice is doing that husky thing. What husky thing? When you're tired, your voice is like lower, kind of gritty and smoky like a sex line girl. It hits the lower register. It hits my lower register, if you know what I'm saying. To emphasize his point, Trey ground his pelvis into mine. All it took was a whimper and a thrust in kind to make Trey sit up, then pull me up with him. What? What's wrong? Nothing. You trust me? You always ask me that when you're about to suggest some fuck shit. I am not going to the roof. No fuck shit, he said, laughing. Do you trust me? Yes. Why? Come with me. I let him help me up, then he grabbed both of my hands and pulled us through the living room, the dining room, and the kitchen. What about all the stuff we left out? I know how to clean up. I wanted to help, though. No need. You're going to be busy. We passed a few closed doors and turned into a darkened room. Trey released one of my hands to tap the light switch. Two bedside lamps turned on, bathing the room in soft light. The bed, clearly the centerpiece of the room, was a wide king covered in a black goose-down comforter and coordinating beige and cream accessories. Thin, sheer curtains obscured picturesque windows. Ooh, you have a Peloton! Yeah. I ride every morning, and some nights if I can't sleep. I walked over to the sleek exercise bike positioned in front of the window. The screen, which looked like a large tablet, was dark. I tapped it, and nothing happened. Really? You want to play with the bike right now? I've never seen one up close. Can you turn it on? Trey reached behind the small tablet affixed to the machine and pressed a button. The tablet came to life, the Peloton brand emblazoned across the screen. He pressed a few buttons, then turned a lever to lower the seat. Hop on. Let's see if Sharita has a class that's up. Who the hell is Sharita, Trey? Is that your girlfriend? Trey laughed, waiting until I climbed up onto the molded seat. She's my Peloton girlfriend, yeah. With a few taps, he pulled up a class and pressed the start button. Ride to the beat. Adjust your strength with the knob under the screen. She'll pump you up, keep the energy going, let you know when you should be working hard and when you should go all out because cool down is coming up. Neat. I was already huffing, trying to keep up with the class riding to the Jackson 5. She's got a live DJ tonight. These are fun rides like a party. Trey stood next to me, watching the screen with his arms crossed, nodding his head to the beat. A gorgeous, bald, bronze bombshell was up front on her bike, barking out commands over a headset mic with a smile. Uh-huh. They make special shoes so that your feet stay secure on the pedals. Okay. I hopped off of the bike before I broke a sweat. I'll stick to yoga. Let's, uh... I nodded my head toward the extremely comfortable-looking bed. Let's talk over here. Ain't gotta tell me twice. I climbed onto the bed on my hands and knees, then flipped over and laid back. Trey followed, 
stretching out beside me and already working his fingers under my t-shirt. Trey, I have a question that I want to ask you. He cupped a breast in his palm and gently squeezed, then released and moved to the other one. Go for it. What kind of women do you usually date? Do you have a type? I didn't see any pictures of women that don't look like family on your mantle. He paused his motions, but only for a moment before resuming squeezing and kneading, flicking his thumbs across my nipples. Are you trying to see if you measure up, or if I'm upgrading? Sort of. I'm curious. Well, I try not to be too shallow. I like her to have arms and legs, hair and teeth. See, why can't I get a serious answer to this question? Why don't you want to tell me? He laughed. I like black women as men. Black women with thick hips and meaty thighs and juicy breasts, and he leaned in to kiss me. Pillow soft lips like these right here. So you're not going to answer? I did answer. What do you want me to say? You want me to call out a bunch of shit that doesn't describe you, so you can wonder why I like you? Why I want you? You're exactly the kind of woman I like. That's why I like you. Among other reasons. Other reasons like what? Like? Trey paused, staring somewhere above my shoulder for a moment before answering. Scruples. You give a damn about me. About my company. Even when you're paid to care about the other guy. You're offering to risk your job to make sure I don't get fucked over. By your client. It's the right thing to do. Some people, like me, for example, might argue that it's not your job to do that. But I recognize that you want to, and I appreciate that you're willing to do that for me. It means a lot to me. I cupped his chin, bringing his lips to mine. Thank you. It was a very sweet, kiss-ass answer. I'll take it. Good, because it's true. You don't want to know what kind of men I like? Nope, he answered quickly. You're here with me at my place on my bed. I'm pretty sure I fit the description. I feel like you think it should be that simple, but you know women aren't that simple. Neither are men, to be honest. There's a lot of pressure to be the perfect guy, but this? He moved his hand between us to indicate the both of us. This is good. I like how it feels to be attracted to someone, to know that somebody feels the same way about me. I'm not trying to question it or talk myself out of wanting it. You bring me joy. I grinned. So I get to stay for as long as you want to be here. He rolled on top of me, settling inside thighs that instinctively opened for him. I willed myself to relax and enjoy him. I was soon lost in the heady sensuality of his mouth, his tongue, his lips, the ripple of muscle under his skin when I gripped his arms or ran my hands down his back. Trey sat up, resting on his knees. He's changed into a t-shirt and shorts when he came home, but now he was pulling them off, tossing the clothing over the side of the bed. I followed suit, pulling off my t-shirt, leaving the bra on underneath. Then I tugged my leggings down and tossed them in the same general direction. My clothing choices, down to my lingerie, were strategic. He'd already seen me all dolled up. Now he could see me dressed down. I knew we wouldn't be able to resist each other, so I chose a provocative, retro-inspired burgundy satin and lace set. My skin glowed against the deep color of the panty, and my breasts were just barely contained in the bra. 
I felt irresistible. By the fire in Trey's eyes, he agreed. Wearing only his boxer briefs, he lowered his body to mine and took my mouth swiftly. Without moving a beat or a swipe of his tongue, he took my hands in one of his and pinned them above my head. He slid the other to my thighs and pushed them open, then cupped me, using a finger to stroke my rigid bud through the thin satin. My body responded in kind with a deep flush of heat and lightning. My hips rolled in rhythm with his strokes, but it wasn't doing much but driving me crazy. As if he could read my mind, he tucked a long finger under the band, emitting a groan and a hunch of his hips when he felt the pool of slick wetness. Shit, he muttered between bouts of sucking on my tongue. You're so fucking wet. Is that for me? I could only whimper, mentally willing him to stroke harder, faster. I hooked a thumb in the band of my panties and pulled them down until I could kick out of them, then splayed my thighs to give him full access to a freshly waxed pussy that was ready for whatever. Especially if whatever meant the sensation of his fingers inside me. I shuddered, unable to contain the vibrations that rocked me. No man that I had even contemplated sex with had ever tried to find that spot that made my body arch up off the bed and a yelp of pleasure tear from my throat. No matter what happened with Trey and me, I had already decided that if it didn't feel like this, if I didn't crave him, if I didn't think about him constantly, if the sound of his voice didn't bring a visceral, pleasured reaction, then it wasn't for me. All I had to do was moan, and Trey would respond. Whatever happened tonight, I decided I was going to let it happen. I was so damned tired of staring at the TV, of dreaming about the romances I read about, imagining the sizzling scenes from Zane novels with my vibrator and a rotating list of black porn sites. I'd explored my body and the lengths to which I could experience sexual pleasure independently. I was more than ready to top anything I could do for myself. The only thing standing between me and copious amounts of sex with Trey was that damn contract, which wasn't even worth the paper it was printed on. Trey released my lips only to move his mouth down my body, dropping kisses at strategic places like the rise of each breast, then light snaps of his teeth across the nipples encased in satin, then moving south across the soft roundness of my belly. He moved further down until he was eye-level to my core, then slid his arms under my body to hook my thighs over his shoulders. He kissed the inside of my right thigh, then sucked the inside of the left. With a long, flat tongue, he tasted me. He made sounds that made it clear that he was pleased. For that matter, so was I. I grabbed a pillow from the head of the bed and shoved it under my neck. I wanted to watch when, without hesitation, Trey took my whole clit in his mouth, rasping the length with his tongue. Oh, shit. Involuntarily, my pelvis jerked. I could hear how wet I was, which only made me more aroused. Trey was undeterred, setting his cadence and varying pressure until I held his head in my hands and writhed against him, riding him. He flicked his tongue across my clit and inserted two eager fingers into my slick center. Moans that weren't quiet to begin with rose until I was shrieking. I pulled the pillow from behind my neck to put it over my face to scream into it. Mm-mm, he hummed, grabbing the edge of the pillow and throwing it across the room. Don't hide. I want to hear you. He went back to his task, working two fingers inside me and stroking my clit with his tongue until my gasps came quicker, accompanied by moans and 
Finally, a gut-level scream. As I pulsed around his fingers, I released an explosion that left him soaked to his wrist. Good girl. Oh my fucking god, I never came that hard before. My chest heaved with my breaths as if I'd actually done miles on the peloton. I fell flat against the mattress, lightheaded with limp limbs. I'll take that as a compliment, he said, dipping his head one last time to press his lips to my clit. I was so sensitive that it was a sweet kind of pain. Be right back. Don't move. He crawled off of the bed and disappeared behind a closed door. I heard the water running for a few minutes, and then he was back, the scent of body wash wafting around him and a towel in his hands. He used the warm cloth to wipe me clean before he took it back to the bathroom. Trey chuckled when he returned and stretched out next to me again. You really did not move. I don't think I can, I said. My voice came out weak, dreamy. I was high. I want to reciprocate with some bomb-ass head, but I can't right now. You don't need to reciprocate. I've been daydreaming about that since I met you, so I got mine. You just need to recover and tell me that you had a good time. I had a good time, I replied, then stretched, cat-like. That was so, so good. Yeah? You'd like more of that? I'd like much more of that, please. I think I'm going to be able to make that happen. My eyes slid closed in a postcoital fugue, but I forced them open. Trey, you didn't answer my question earlier about running Miller's numbers. He didn't respond for so long that I thought he'd fallen asleep, but then his voice rumbled beside me. I don't want you to risk your job for me. I'll find a way to get the information I need. At least let me ask Miller, you know, try to get them legitimately. I rolled my head toward him, but ended up staring at the side of his face. You said you didn't think he'd give them to you. I don't, he replied, with a frown and a shake to his head. But I can ask and go from there. I want this closed as much as you do. I want to be with you, but I need to do this guilt-free. Whatever I can do to keep you safe, that's what I want. But, so you know, I'm gangsta outside of a laser maze, too. I'm willing to do it. I know. That's why I like you. He sucked in a long breath through his nose and stared, wide-eyed at the ceiling. The tension was palpable. I didn't envy his position. If he disappointed his father, he would lose any chance of getting to open and run a residential construction division. If he went forward the transaction on faith, he could bankrupt Pettigrew. You feel like getting in the shower with me, he asked. Another sudden topic change. I have those rainfall shower heads and it's all marble inlay. It's almost as cool as the Peloton. My eyebrows hiked in interest. Maybe I'll get a second wind. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Neverlist. I hope you are truly enjoying Trey and Esme and their burgeoning love story. This is indeed a bit of a slow burn considering she's a virgin and they can't have sex until after they have nothing to do with this deal. However, I don't want to frustrate you. I will tell you that some pivotal scenes are coming up and so you'll want to stick around for that.
Until next time, remember you can purchase this book at booksbydlwhite.com books. You can order this book in paperback now at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It will probably show up at bookshop.org very soon. And you can also request this book at your library now. So we're moving right along. Again, thank you so much for joining me and we'll talk next time.